Chapter Twelve of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by Georges Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Twelve. He had been two hours in the salon when he heard Madame Delmar's sweet and slightly husky voice in the adjoining room. By dint of reflecting on his scheme of seduction, he had become as passionately interested as an author in his subject, or a lawyer in his cause. And the emotion that he felt at the sight of Indiana may be compared to that of an actor thoroughly imbued with the spirit of his role, who finds himself in the presence of the principal character of the drama and can no longer distinguish artificial stage effects from reality. She was so changed that a feeling of sincere compassion found its way into Raymond's being amid the nervous tremors of his brain. Unhappiness and illness had left such deep traces on her face that she was hardly pretty, and that he felt that there was more glory than pleasure to be gained by the conquest. But he owed it to himself to restore this woman to life and happiness seeing how pale and sad she was he judged that he had no very strong will to contend against was it possible that such a frail envelope could conceal great power of moral resistance he reflected that it was necessary first of all to interest her in herself to frighten her concerning her depression and her failing health in order the more easily to open her mind to the desire and the hope of a better destiny Indiana, he began with secret assurance, perfectly concealed beneath an air of profound melancholy. To think that I should find you in such a condition as this! I did not dream that this moment to which I have looked forward so long, which I have sought so eagerly, would cause me such horrible pain. Madame Delmar hardly anticipated this language. She expected to surprise Raymond in the attitude of a confused and shrinking culprit. And lo! instead of accusing himself of telling her of his grief and repentance his sorrow and pity were all for her she must be sorely cast down and broken in spirit to inspire compassion in a man who should have implored hers a french woman a woman of the world would not have lost her head at such a delicate juncture but indiana had no tact possessed neither the skill nor the power of dissimulation necessary to preserve the advantage of her position. His words brought before her eyes the whole picture of her sufferings, and tears glistened on the edge of her eyelids. "'I am ill in truth,' she said, as she seated herself feebly and wearily in the chair Raymond offered her. "'I feel that I am very ill, and in your presence, monsieur, I have the right to complain.' Raymond had not hoped to progress so fast. He seized the opportunity by the hair, as the saying is, and taking possession of a hand which felt cold and dry in his, he replied, "'Indiana, do not say that. Do not say that I am the cause of your illness, for you make me mad with grief and joy.' "'And joy?' she repeated, fixing upon him her great blue eyes overflowing with melancholy and amazement. I should have said hope, for if I have caused you unhappiness, madame, I can perhaps bring it to an end. Say a word, 
he added, kneeling beside her on a cushion that had fallen from the divan, ask me for my blood, my life. Oh, hush, said Indiana bitterly, withdrawing her hand. You made a shameful misuse of promises before. Try to repair the evil you have done. I intend to do it. I will do it, he cried, trying to take her hand again. It is too late, she said. Give me back my companion, my sister. Give me back Noun, my only friend. A cold shiver ran through Raymond's veins. This time he had no need to encourage her emotion. There are emotions which awake unbidden, mighty and terrible, without the aid of art. She knows all, he thought, and she has judged me. Nothing could be more humiliating to him than to be reproached for his crime by the woman who had been his innocent accomplice. Nothing more bitter than to see Noun's rival lamenting her death. Yes, monsieur, said Indiana, raising her face, down which the tears were streaming. You were the cause. But she paused when she observed Raymond's pallor. It must have been most alarming, for he had never suffered so keenly. Thereupon all the kindness of her heart, and all the involuntary emotion which he aroused in her, resumed their sway over Madame Delmar. "'Forgive me,' she said in dismay. "'I hurt you terribly. I have suffered so myself. Sit down, and let us talk of something else.' This sudden manifestation of her sweet and generous nature rendered Raymond's emotion deeper than ever. He sobbed aloud. He put Indiana's hand to his lips and covered it with tears and kisses. It was the first time that he had been able to weep since Noun's death, and it was Indiana who relieved his breast of that terrible weight. "'Oh, since you who never knew her weep for her so freely,' she said, "'since you regret so bitterly the injury you have done me, I dare not reproach you any more. Let us weep for her together, monsieur, so that from her place in heaven she may see us and forgive us. Raymond's forehead was wet with cold perspiration. If the words, you who never knew her, had delivered him from painful anxiety, this appeal to his victim's memory in Indiana's innocent mouth terrified him with a superstitious terror. Sorely distressed, he rose and walked feverishly to a window and leaned on the sill to breathe the fresh air. Indiana remained in her chair, silent and deeply moved. She felt a sort of secret joy on seeing Raymond weep like a child and display the weakness of a woman. "'He is naturally kind,' she murmured to herself. "'He is fond of me. His heart is warm and generous. He did wrong, but his repentance expiates his fault, and I ought to have forgiven him sooner.' She gazed at him with a softened expression. Her confidence in him had returned. She mistook the remorse of the guilty man for the repentance of love. "'Do not weep any more,' she said, rising and walking to him. "'It was I who killed her. I alone am guilty. This remorse will sadden my whole life. I gave way to an impulse of suspicion and anger. I humiliated her, wounded her to the heart. I vented upon her all my spleen against you.' It was you alone who had offended me, and I punished my poor friend for it. I was very hard to her. And to me, 
said Raymond, suddenly forgetting the past, to think only of the present. Madame Delmar blushed. "'I should not perhaps have reproached you for the cruel loss I sustained on that awful night,' she said. "'But I cannot forget the imprudence of your conduct toward me. The lack of delicacy in your romantic and culpable project wounded me very deeply. I believed then that you loved me, and you did not even respect me.' Raymond recovered his strength, his determination, his love, his hopes. The sinister presentiment which had made his blood run cold vanished like a nightmare. He awoke once more, young, ardent, overflowing with desire, with passion, and with hopes for the future. "'I am guilty if you hate me,' he said vehemently, throwing himself at her feet. "'But if you love me, I am not guilty. I never have been. Tell me, Indiana.' "'Do you love me?' "'Do you deserve it?' she asked. "'If in order to deserve it,' said Raymond, "'I must love you to adoration.' "'Listen to me,' she said, "'abandoning her hands to him "'and fastening upon him her great eyes, "'swimming in tears, "'wherein a somber flame gleamed at intervals. "'Do you know what it is to love a woman like me? "'No, you do not know.' You thought that it was merely a matter of gratifying the caprice of a day. You judged my heart by all the surfeited hearts over which you have hitherto exerted your ephemeral domination. You do not know that I have never loved as yet, and that I will not give my untouched virgin heart in exchange for a ruined, withered heart, my enthusiastic love for a lukewarm love, my whole life for one brief day. "'Madame, I love you passionately. "'My heart, too, is young and ardent, "'and if it is not worthy of yours, "'no man's heart will ever be. "'I know how you must be loved. "'I have not waited till this day to find out. "'Do I not know your life? "'Did I not describe it to you at the ball, "'the first time that I ever had the privilege of speaking to you? "'Did I not read the whole history of your heart "'in the first one of your glances that ever fell upon me?' And with what did I fall in love, think you? With your beauty alone? Ah, that is surely enough to drive an older and less passionate man to frenzy. But for my part, if I adore that gracious and charming envelope, it is because it encloses a pure and divine soul. It is because a celestial fire quickens it, and because I see in you not a woman simply, but an angel. I know that you possess the art of praising, but do not hope to move my vanity. I have no need of homage, but of affection. I must be loved without a rival, without reserve, and for ever. You must be ready to sacrifice everything to me, fortune, reputation, duty, business, principles, family, everything, monsieur, because I shall place the same absolute devotion in my scale, and I wish them to balance. You see, that you cannot love me like that. It was not the first time that Raymond had seen a woman take love seriously, although such cases are rare, luckily for society. But he knew that promises of love do not bind the honor, again, luckily for society. Sometimes, too, the women who had demanded from him these solemn pledges had been the first to break them. He did not take fright, therefore, at Madame Delmar's demands, or rather he gave no thought either to the past or the future. 
he was borne along by the irresistible fascination of that frail passionate woman so weak in body so resolute in heart and mind she was so beautiful so animated so imposing as she dictated her laws to him that he remained as if fascinated at her knees i swear he said that i will be yours body and soul i devote my life i consecrate my blood to you i place my will at your service take everything do as you will with my fortune my honor my conscience my thoughts my whole being hush said indiana hastily here is my cousin as she spoke the phlegmatic sir ralph brown entered the room with his usual tranquil air expressing great surprise and pleasure to see his cousin whom he had not hoped to see then he asked permission to kiss her by way of manifesting his gratitude and leaning over her with methodical moderation he kissed her on the lips according to the custom among children in his country raymond turned pale with anger and ralph had no sooner left the room to give some order than he went to indiana and tried to remove all trace of that impertinent kiss but madame delmar calmly pushed him away remember she said that you owe much reparation if you wish me to believe in you raymond did not understand the delicacy of this rebuff he saw in it nothing but a rebuff and he was angry with sir ralph shortly after he noticed that when sir ralph spoke to indiana in an undertone he used the more familiar form of address and he was on the verge of mistaking the reserve which custom imposed upon sir ralph at other times for the precaution of a favored lover but he blushed for his insulting suspicions as soon as he met the young woman's pure glance that evening raymond displayed his intellectual powers there was a large company and people listened to him he could not escape the prominence which his talents gave him he talked and if indiana had been vain she would have had her first taste of happiness in listening to him but on the contrary her simple straightforward mind took fright at raymond's superiority she struggled against the magic power which he exerted over all about him a sort of magnetic influence which heaven or hell accords to certain men a partial and ephemeral royalty so real that no mediocre mind can escape its ascendancy so fleeting that no trace of it remains after them and that when they die we are amazed at the sensation they made during their lives there were many times when indiana was fascinated by such a brilliant display but she at once said to herself sadly that she was eager for happiness not for glory she asked herself in dismay if this man for whom life had so many different aspects so many absorbing interests could devote his whole mind to her sacrifice all his ambitions to her and while he defended step by step with such courage and skill such ardor and self-possession doctrines purely speculative and interests entirely foreign to their love she was terrified to see that she was of so little account in his life while he was everything in hers she said to herself in terror that she was to him a three days fancy and that he had been to her the dream of a whole life when he offered her his arm as they were leaving the salon he whispered a few words of love in her ear but she answered sadly you have a great mind raymond understood the reproof and passed the whole of the following day at madame delmar's feet the other guests being engrossed by their hunting left them entirely to themselves 
Raymond was eloquent. Indiana had such a craving to believe that half of his eloquence was wasted. Women of France, you do not know what a Creole is. You would undoubtedly have yielded less readily to conviction, for you are not the ones to be deceived or betrayed. End of chapter 12